Hello and welcome to another Freedom Church Liverpool sermon. Uh, this is the first sermon in our brand new series on Ecclesiastes uh, and it was recorded on Sunday the 1st of September and the preach started with a clip uh, from the film The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in which um, a, a supercomputer is being built to try and determine the meaning of life and it comes up with the answer that the meaning of life, the universe and everything is 42 and the preacher will pick up just after that clip was played. Hope you enjoy this, and uh, we'll see you soon. The whole point of that scene is to poke fun at this never-ending human desire to find purpose and meaning in our lives here on Earth. And Douglas Adams once explained his answer, this answer of 42. He says it was a joke. It had to be a number, an ordinary, smallish number. And I chose that one. I sat on my desk, I stared into the garden, and I thought, 42 will do. I typed it out, end of story. And yet, you know, countless hours have been spent by people researching this number. <laughs> loads and loads of people have spent all sorts of time trying to, trying to see, is there any significance to this number 42? Maybe that is the answer. What? And, and they've, they've found all sorts of weird and wacky ways how 42 is this really important number. Maybe Douglas Adams was right. And yet, it was written as a joke in a novel. I think this shows that we just have this aching desire for meaning and truth. We have all these questions. What does life mean? Why do we exist? What happens after we die? Why is life so unfair? Can I avoid death? What even makes me want to keep on living? And these are huge questions that we need to interact with, and they had been debated in philosophy and theology for centuries. And as Christians, we want to be able to provide answers to these questions, don't we? And this series is going to focus, this new series we're launching today is going to focus on a particular book of the Bible which explores the meaning of life in detail. And so often the, uh, the questions of life are, are asked from the wrong perspective. We're trying to find out our meaning for ourselves. And there seems to be an assumption for, for most people that the meaning of our lives is to be found here on earth today. That it's an earthly meaning. Our lives are lived out here on earth and therefore the answer must be here somewhere. What we're going to see from this book of the Bible is that the quest for earthly meaning, where that quest for earthly meaning and answers leads us to. And eventually, by the end of the series, we'll find the answer. An answer that does bring genuine satisfaction and meaning. So we're going to be looking through the book of Ecclesiastes. So, Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes, this book of Ecclesiastes, is written by an anonymous author. And this author is reporting the words of someone described by the Hebrew word koaleth. I think that's how you pronounce it. If anyone knows Hebrew better than me, please, please uh, correct me later. And this word koeleth is best, is best translated, as depending on which Bible you read, as either teacher or preacher or assembler, i.e. someone who gathers someone to get people together to hear. And this teacher, we learn, is a former king of Israel. They're described as a son of David, Israel's greatest king. We all know about the story of King David, the guy who killed Goliath, uh, the guy who, who reached uh, great heights on his, in his time as king of Israel. And this king, this teacher, has gathered people together and he's gathered them to share his knowledge. 
And in this instance, he's gathering them to share the wisdom that he's gained about life itself. The teacher in this instance is not the, not the author of the book, but he's a character in the book. And the author is reporting what he's telling the people. And our best guess is that this guy, the Koaleth, the teacher, is King Solomon. King Solomon. And if it's not King Solomon, then the author has been at some pains to really make us think that it is King Solomon. So we're going to work with the assumption that it's King Solomon. And I will refer to Solomon throughout this series. And I think it's, it's helpful that it is Solomon because Solomon is uniquely placed, I think, to discuss the meaning of life in detail. Why? Well, firstly, Solomon possessed great wisdom. One of the things we know about Solomon from the Bible is that he was given a gift by God of incredible wisdom. In fact, God offered him anything and he chose wisdom as the gift that he wanted to receive from God. He became famous for his wisdom. So famous that he attracted the admiration and even worship of people far and wide. They wanted to come and hear this great, wise man. Tell us your wisdom, Solomon. We want to hear what you've got to say about the world. His writings have been quoted for centuries, Ecclesiastes included, but also the book of Proverbs. He wrote many of the Proverbs that, we, that have even lasted into today and are still quoted, and the Song of Songs. And you kind of think, well, if anyone can get to the, the meaning of life, then surely a guy who's been given the gift of wisdom directly by God himself is going to be a good candidate for this. And Solomon's also a man who experienced the true roller coaster of life. He amassed incredible success and wealth. He was blessed by God. He had incredible riches, all the money you could ever wish for. He was the one who built a temple to, to God in Jerusalem, something that his father didn't get to do. He also built himself an even bigger palace and assembled a harem of women from around the world, as well as all sorts of animals and other properties. He had it all. He lived a rich, wealthy life. And he was the last king of Israel who actually presided over the full kingdom. All 12 tribes united under one king. He was the last guy to have that privilege. However, he also knew failure and sorrow. In fact, those wives that he assembled, that harem of beautiful women from around the world, proved to be Solomon's downfall because he was tempted into worshipping their gods and taking on their religious practices and abandoning the God who had given him so much. And so we know at the end of his life, at the end of his reign, Solomon was brought low and the kingdom was stripped away from him, never to be reunited. Solomon knew the roller coaster of life. So I think he's a good candidate to give us some insight, to give us some wisdom on what life means. So what does Solomon get to? What can he tell us about the meaning of life? After all this rich and wealthy and ups and downs of life and the wisdom he got from God, where does Solomon land? What does he have to tell us about the meaning of life? Well, let me sum up his discovery. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now you can imagine the people gathered there listening to Solomon. They're like, Solomon, you all right, lad? <laughs> it's a bit dark, isn't it? I was reminded this morning, the last time I preached on Ecclesiastes, I'd just come back to work after being signed off for two weeks with depression and anxiety. I'm thankfully in a much better place now. I hope by the end of this message, you're not in the same place. <laughs> this is a pretty dark, pretty dark stuff. That's a bit of a bleak take on life, isn't it? All the wisdom in the world. And he says, life's meaningless. Maybe not what we expected. I mean, 
Are we even sure this is in the Bible? I mean, the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible tells us that God knows us intimately and even knows how many hairs we have on our heads. How can this square with that? How can Solomon say life's meaningless? Well, we're going to discover that Solomon reaches this conclusion about trying to find meaning and purpose in life without God. This is the place we get to when we try to discover and build up our own earthly meaning. What life means to us through what we can gain on earth. That's what he's talking about here. Everything is meaningless. Let's focus on this word meaningless a little bit. It's an important word. Solomon uses it 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's more than twice the amount is used anywhere else in the Bible put together. It's an important word. We need to understand it. Depending on which uh, Bible translation you, you've got, you'll see it in the NIV and New Living Translation is meaningless. If you've got an ESV or King James, you'll see the word vanity. If you, if you use the CSV, I can't even remember what that even stands for, but if you use the CSV, you'll see it as futility. The good, the good news version talks about life is useless. And the CEV, the contemporary English version, says nonsense. Life is nonsense. Well, the actual Hebrew word that sits behind this is the word hebel. Hebel. And actually that word is best translation, translated as the word for vapor or smoke. Or, or even breath. So what Solomon is saying is everything is smoke. Everything is vapor. Now what on earth does he mean by this? Well essentially Solomon has learned that life is fleeting. That it doesn't last. That it's smoke. And he's also learned that life is an enigma. That it's difficult to grasp. You can't grab hold of it. You can't control it. It's there and then it's gone. Have you ever tried to hold smoke? It's difficult. It's not holdable. It's not controllable. You can't make it do what you want it to do. Unless you maybe when you're trying to smoke some fish, you can maybe use it then. It's the one exception. But smoke goes where it goes. Sorry to just undermine Solomon massively there. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, this teacher, is going to show us that the way that we as humans try to live our lives and to find meaning and purpose on earth is largely meaningless smoke and vapor. That our earthly lives and pursuits are ultimately frustrating and fruitless. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, the author tells us that the words that the teacher has spoken to us, that the words of the wise are like goads. Now goads were were sharp spikes that if you were, if you were pushing, uh, driving a horse along, they would sit just behind the horse's legs. And if the horse kicked, they'd get a sharp pain and they'd keep going forwards. That's what these words are meant to be for us. They're meant to spur us on, to give us that prick of reality that we need to say, no, I need to keep going. This is, this is what I need to hear. It may be painful to hear, but this is what I need to know. Now, you're going to need to listen to the whole of this series. It's a four-part series to get the full picture. If you want the full answer to the meaning of life, you're not going to get it just from today. I encourage you, please come back next week and the week after and the week after. If you can't get here, listen to the talks online because this series is, is, needs to be heard in, 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 in all four of its parts because you can't fit all of it in today. But what we're going to hear, hopefully, at the end of this series is, is the joyful ending. We're going we're to find the un uncomfortable truth that Solomon uncovers that we need to appreciate, but then the good stuff, the God stuff, 
is going to come later in the series, the answer to the meaning of life. But this realisation that everything is hebel, everything is smoke, <coughs> is based upon what Solomon learns about three key aspects about earthly life. It comes to three realisations, one about time, one about death, and one about the lack of earthly guarantee. And we're going to come and we're going to have a look at each of these pictures, each of these realisations, so that we can build to an understanding of how we really can live godly, fulfilling, and joyful lives in a world that is full of smoke. And I promise by the end of this series, we will have an understanding of just why this book is in the Bible and how helpful it is to us. So let's look at each of these three realisations today. The first is this realisation about time. And we're going to start by reading in uh, chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles with you. I've got it on the screen if you haven't. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, but if you've got your Bibles with you, do follow it along. We're going to read verses 2 to 11 in chapter 1. Solomon says this, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Life is smoke because time marches on and we can do nothing about it. That's what Solomon has learned. You really get the sense here of Solomon's frustration with the never-ending cycle of life, the uncontrollable marching of time and the insignificance of humanity within it. He says in verse 4, generations come, generations go, but the earth just goes on forever. Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Solomon has learned that no matter how much we as humans might achieve, no matter how much we long for significance and fame and glory, it will end up as smoke. Our lives, our 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth hopefully, are but a drop in the ocean of time and space. What we may see is important milestones in life, growing up, marriage, childbirth, whatever, are just tiny moments in the context of the history of humanity. My, my older sister has recently been researching our family history, our family tree, and she's found it really hard to uncover the details of our, pre, of our, our descendants, our predecessors in life. And these are people who lived just like us. They lived lives with families and jobs, achievements, pleasures and pains. And yet 150 years later, we struggle even to know their name and address. I, 
I've read the report that my sister's put together over the last two or three hundred years of my family history. And I have to confess, I've already forgotten the names of those who came before me. Apart from my, my sort of most immediate people I've ever met. Time moves on fast. Our stint here on earth, in the grand scheme of things, is short and insignificant. Very few people achieve fame and notoriety and ultimately they will be forgotten too. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't turn back the tide of time. It happens and we can't control it. Like smoke, we can't grasp it, we can't shape it, we can't hold it. It slips through our fingers. In verses 5 to 10, Solomon even gets frustrated with the sun and the water cycle. They just go on. They pay no regard to his life. He could have the best day of his life or the worst day of his life. And at the end of the day, the sun sets again and it will rise again in the morning as if nothing happened. And do you know what's more? This precious, fleeting life we have, we waste it. A lot of it. Do you want to know what the average Western human being does with their average 79 years on earth? Let's have a bit of a guess here. We'll start with the big one. How much time do you think we spend in bed out of 79 years? 33 years of our life is spent in bed. 26 years sleeping, 7 years trying to get to sleep. I must admit, I don't think I spend that long trying to get to sleep. I'm normally head hit the pillow, I'm out. Isn't that amazing? That's about two-fifths of our lives. Two-fifths of our lives are spent in bed. What's next? 13 years of our lives are spent in work. 13 years spent working. Next, and this is perhaps a scary one, 11 years of our lives are spent watching screens. I suspect that number is creeping up all the time. certainly is in my house. It's the only way to control the kids. I'm joking, I'm joking. Four and a half years eating. I suspect that's higher for me than it is for some of you. Four and a half years spent eating. Three years on holiday. I suspect some of you have that higher than I do. Mine's definitely lower for exercising. (laughs) 1.3 years. A year and a third exercising. One year romancing. Whatever that means. (laughs) Don't go there. And then one year. One year socializing. One year spending time with our friends. And now here's the big one. How much time of our lives do we spend getting ready? For men, we spend 46 days of our 79 years getting ready. What about for women? 136 days of our lives. I suspect, again, there'll be some who say that's higher or some who say that's lower. But guys, that's our lives on average in the Western world today. That's, that's based on research. How good the research is, I don't know. But that's, that's what I found. 79 years and two-fifths of it, we're not even conscious. We're flat on our backs. And then we spend time on screens. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that thing. I need to make some changes. I need to combine some things. I'm, I'm going to start eating my meals on my exercise bike in front of the telly. Because <laughs> then I can combine some of these times and I'll free up some stuff that's going to be useful elsewhere. I don't know. That's just one idea. You might want to use it. But isn't it shocking? And before you look at this and start bemoaning millennials for a crisis of screen time and wasted time, consider this. This is what Solomon says in verses 9 to 10. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 
If there's any one of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. So those of you very smug, you think, well, this is a modern problem. It's looking at screens all the time. It's being antisocial. What about that? All this technology making us antisocial? Well, technology just replaced other things that made us antisocial. Before it was the screen, it was the newspaper. Before it was the newspaper, it was the books. There's always something that, that makes us waste our time and not interact with each other. There is nothing new under the sun. Every generation has found ways to waste its time and to end up with the crushing disappointment of a life lived where time has slipped through our fingers. Before screens, people flitted away the hours, reading books, playing card games, listening to music. In June, Debbie and I had the privilege of visiting the Colosseum in Rome, which is an incredible experience. And it's famed for its gladiator battles, but it was also used for theatre and battle reenactments. At times, they'd fill the thing with water and have these sort of uh, water battle reenactments with real ships and all sorts going on. It was a place of mass entertainment and socialising. And it reminded me that this modern taste we have for Netflix, for sports, for cinema... It's not a modern problem. Technology has just simply changed how we're entertained, what we consume with our eyes. Solomon's learned that human life, whilst it may be entertaining, while it may be pleasurable and painful at times, will ultimately ebb away. That a lifetime of activity and inactivity will be marked only by the recording of the dates that we live between. We can measure time. We can't control time. It's smoke. Vapor. Meaningless. Happy, eh? <laughs> Let's look at the second one of Solomon's realizations. The realization that he comes to about death. Just to cheer <laughs> things up a bit. This is the next thing that he realizes. Time slips away, it's smoke, and when time is up, we meet the same fate. I remember another pastor in Liverpool, a guy called Bill Bygros at uh, Bridge Chapel. He couldn't do a single preach without saying the words, you know, church, one out of one, die. Every week, without fail. <laughs> another cheery bloke. And we find Solomon discussing death a lot in Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look here at chapter 3, uh, chapter 3 and 9. This is chapter 3 on the screen here, verses 18 to 21 says this, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. And humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. And to dust all return. And who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And these are words, you'll recognize some of them, that we've incorporated them into our funeral services. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're dust. We're born, we live, we die. I remember a song from my youth by a lady called Lisa Loeb which had the line which always rocked me even as a youngster. It said, we're dying since the day we were born. Oof, miserable. <laughs> miserable. But there's truth in it. Death doesn't discriminate. <coughs> Life is smoke. And for Solomon, this is a crushing realization he comes to. He's had his wealth. He's had his power. He's had his wisdom. 
but nothing can change the fact he's going to die. And like it says in chapter 9, he could die any moment. Like the fish who could be caught in a cruel net at any moment. No one knows that when the hour will come. In prepping this preach, I found some stories, story after story really, of humans who had on the face of it thrown their lives away. You might think about Queen Shi Huan, the very first emperor of China. This is the guy who, who created the terracotta army, if you've heard of that. And in 2000, uh, two, 210 BC, he died after ingesting several pills of mercury in the belief that it would grant him eternal life. Threw his life away, chasing eternity. Or what about Francois Vatel, the chief steward of Prince Louis de, de Bourbon Condé? <laughs> Thank you very much. My mum was a French teacher. Fortunately, she just didn't teach me. Uh, in 1671, Francois Vatel was responsible for the banquet for 2,000 people hosted in honor of King Louis XIV at the Chateau de Chantilly. Vatel was so distraught about the lateness of the seafood delivery for the banquet that he committed suicide with his sword. And his body was discovered when someone came to tell him that the fish had now arrived. <laughs> Threw his life away. But what about Adolf Frederick, the king of Sweden, who in 1771 died of digestion problems, having consumed a meal of lobster, caviar, sauerkraut, smoked herring and champagne, and then topped it off with 14 servings of his favorite desserts. And is thus remembered by Swedish school ch children as the king who ate himself to death. What a way to go. Or how about Clement Valandiam, a lawyer and a Ohio politician, who in 1871 was defending a man accused of murder. And he aimed to prove to the jury that the murder victim hadn't been killed by his client, but had accidentally shot himself. And in demonstrating this, he accidentally <laughs> shot himself and died. His client was cleared of the murder but his life was over. We can look back on these tragic, ironic, almost humorous stories of death, and we can thank God that hopefully we will not make the same mistakes in throwing our lives away the way these people did. But be assured of this, we will end up losing our lives just, to, like, just as they did. That's what Solomon realizes. Some people value their lives more than others. But actually, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. Actually, we're going to die just as the people who throw their lives away are going to die. No matter how closely we guard our lives, no matter how much care we take not to be so careless as these guys, we end up dead. Our journeys might look quite different, but the destination is the same. Human life on earth will end in death 100% of the time. It's uncontrollable and unchangeable. It's smoke. It's meaningless. That's a horrible discovery for Solomon to make. Let's look at his final realization. Solomon, Solomon's realization of time slipping away, of death being inevitable, leads into this last truth that earthly life gives no guarantees, no matter how we live it. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, they're up on the screen here. Solomon talks about the huge efforts he made to not waste his life to live wisely, to make good decisions, to value and prize life by being prudent and sensible, to strive for good rather than evil. Where does it get him? His realization, is this. His realization is this. What was the flipping point? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, he says. 
just as light is better than darkness. And the wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walked in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Later in chapter 4, Solomon sees the sin and oppression in the world, the pain and the sorrow, and laments that actually it's better for the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. This world, this under the sun, under the sun is a phrase that repeats throughout this book. Solomon is constantly talking about life under the sun, this earthly life, this 70, 80 years we have on earth. This life under the sun is a cruel, harsh and disappointing place. A place of injustice. A place where good and evil result in the same fate where the fair and kind end up dead, just as the selfish and cruel. Where those who act wisely to protect life end up in the grave alongside the reckless and stupid. Where hard work is not rewarded because those who diligently earn their way to riches end up taking nothing to the grave. Just like those who live lives of laziness and self-entitlement they will also end up with nothing in the grave. There's no guarantees. You can do what you want, work as hard as you like to find meaning, to find wealth, to find riches and glory on this earth, but you'll end up in a grave with nothing. All that we can be achieved in life is ultimately rendered meaningless by the fact that we die and that once we're dead, our possessions, our achievements and our legacy are useless to us. That's what Solomon gets to. Life under the sun. That's where it ends up. Whew, cheery stuff. What can we take away from this? As I say, we're going to build to the good news towards the end of the series. I'm not going to give you all the good news today. I'm sorry about that. But I do think there's important things to learn. James. Look, Solomon has learned the inevitability of time, the certainty of death, the injustice that our deeds on earth make no difference to our fate, our lives under the sun. And he's left depressed and dissatisfied. And maybe that's how you're feeling right now, listening to me. What are we supposed to do with this? You know, when the books of the Bible were being debated as to what goes in and what stays out of the Bible, what, what goes into our canon of Scripture, there were some at the time who argued that Ecclesiastes shouldn't be included, that it's too depressing, too sad, too brutal. But I believe it belongs because it's full of truth. And it perfectly describes the frustration and the futility of human life under the sun without reference to something else. It leaves us feeling that nothing earthly can make life worthwhile or significant. It repeats another phrase that it's a chasing after the wind. In trying to live out our lives on earth with reference to nothing else, just ref reference to ourselves and what we can make of it. We're chasing wind. Can't catch it. Can't trap the wind. We're just chasing around doing nothing. As human beings, we attach significance to all kinds of earthly things. To wealth, to health, to romance, to family, to social status, to pleasure, 
even to pain. And Ecclesiastes very, very unsubtly exposes each one as what it is. Vapor, smoke, our wealth, smoke. Our romantic, our romantic lives, our, our relationship status, smoke. Our careers, our jobs, our, our, our life plans on their own, they just smoke. Our pleasure and our pain, the things that we, we love and adore in life and the things that we, we find difficult, the things that we can't cope with, the things that we get so obsessed with, they just smoke. Albeit that one's a cherry blossom smoke, it's quite nice. Shouldn't have bought a scented candle. If we try and build our lives on any one or more of these things alone, we'll end up disappointed. We'll be chasing after the wind. No matter how important these things are, I'm not saying that relationships aren't important. I'm not saying that health and family and, and career aren't important. But if you try and build your significance and your lives on any of those things, you'll end up with nothing. There's smoke. You can't take them with you. Over the coming weeks, we're going to look at how Solomon tries to respond to these realizations. And let me finish by addressing this, because I'm aware this is a heavy topic for a sunny Sunday morning in September. And I don't want us to go away feeling so disappointed and dissatisfied and despairing at what we've heard today that we don't want to come back next week. <laughs> but I actually think that's the goal of this book. The goal of this book, the goal of Solomon's words of wisdom is to leave us dissatisfied with the earth. It's to leave us frustrated with our lives under the sun. We're supposed to realise that earth cannot give us the joy and the fulfilment we seek. It cannot give us the meaning of life in itself. We're supposed to realise that the meaning of life cannot be found in any earthly pursuit or pleasure. It can't be done. I'm going to end with this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this, in the book Mere Christianity, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel, and women, feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is fraud, but probably that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. I'm not going to give the whole of the game away this week, but I hope that gives you a hint. If we're left feeling dissatisfied, if we're left feeling frustrated, if we're left feeling like earth cannot meet our desire for meaning and for satisfaction and for true joy, that's because satisfaction and joy and meaning were not meant to be found in the things of this earth. They're meant to be found somewhere else. You can probably all guess where we're going to lead to in this series, but I just really wanted to give you that basis this week. Don't try and find your pleasure and your satisfaction and your meaning in the things of this earth. You will end up disappointed. What we're going to hear over the course of this series is where we can find those things. And it's good news. We're going to see Solomon's exposed the limitations of earthly satisfaction. And over the next few weeks, we will find how true satisfaction, true joy, 
true meaning in life can and is found somewhere else that is not earthly.